And I'm Quinn. And this is the Monstrous Woman Podcast. Fortnightly, we take an in-depth look at a woman or feminine monster who has fallen victim to the monstrous woman trope. We discuss their representation in different media, the real-world implications, and what we would change. The idea of this podcast comes from the monstrous feminine theory by Barbara Creed. This theory gives us a lens to look through when considering why femininity is so often painted as monstrous. Fetus is a sexual assault survivor, and on this episode, we will be discussing her experiences, her trauma, and how she was perceived. Please take care of yourself while listening, and if you're not up for this conversation, we'll see you in next week's episode. Popping in to discuss Thetis with us is Maddie from the Fatal Flaw Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week, Maddie. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself? (laughs) Uh, sure. My name's Maddie. I'm one half of the Fatal Flaw podcast. I do that with my friend Molly. Um, it is a Percy Jackson podcast where instead of going um, in order through the books, we do it by theme. So we've got different themes that we talk about that go throughout the whole uh, series of books. And it's really fun. And you should check it out. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and pretty much everywhere else. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah, Percy Jackson, we appreciate here. Yeah, (laughs) I'm glad to be here. (laughs) All right, well, welcome back, everybody. We're excited that we're on the Thetis episode. So Thetis is one of the most famous sea nymphs around and an absolute queen of boundaries. (laughs) Yes. But before we jump into our discussion, we wanted to give a little PSA about nymphs in Greek mythology. So we did mention this a little bit last week, but nymphs are women born of a god or titan and an immortal mother. These creatures have powers over which whichever earthly plane they reside in, like the ocean or forest, and they are immortal also. However, they are situated on the lowest rung when it comes to power among the gods. I read Song of Achilles first because of the Achilles and Patroclus relationship. Uh, I wanted to read it because I hadn't really read an in-depth sort of dive, like look in on their relationship because that is such a not frequently told story. Uh, And I I just loved every aspect of it because that is sort of a, oh no, no, they weren't gay. They weren't gay. They weren't gay. But then you read the actual text and it's like, they were totally gay. <laughs> Pretty gay. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. It's hard to like it's hard to not have complicated conversations about them because their relationship deteriorates so badly at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. But in such a tragic way. It's very Greek. And I, I, I love them. And I'm I'm wearing a t shirt from Song of Achilles right now. And, I mean, they're just, they're the great, I I love that, despite it being a queer love story, it's, like, stood the test of time. And people have tried to bury it, for sure, but, you, like, you look throughout history, and, like, Alexander the Great was, like, weirdly a big fan of theirs. And, like, now Madeline Miller's, like, New York Times bestseller focuses on their relationship and stuff, so it's just, I think it's really cool how they just, you can't, you can't bury this one, they keep coming back. Oh, that's a good way to put it. I've never thought of it like that. That's so cute. Yeah, they're cute. I mean, you're right, toxic at the end, but, you know, there was a lot going on. It was a war. Times were hard. <laughs> now, so toxic relationships. You want to talk about Achilles' mom? <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect segue, unfortunately. So, <laughs> let's jump into the original myth of Thetis. Quinn, do you want to give us our summary this week? 
All right. So, Thetis, as we have established, she was a sea nymph. This means that she was descended from a the titan Nereus, who was essentially the sea. He was also the guy who Achilles wrestled, and he would like turn into a whole bunch of different sea creatures. That comes into play. So uh, Thetis was the leader of all the Nereids and was incredibly beautiful and was being fought over by both Zeus and Poseidon. Uh, Thetis is written as being happy with this arrangement. The best a sing nymph could uh, hope for was to marry a powerful god and sort of level up. Uh, then it is revealed through a prophecy that Thetis's son will be greater than his father. Bum, bum, bum! Yes, this is a very big deal in Greek mythology because paradigm shifts happen when sons turn on their fathers like Zeus defeated Kronos. Uh, so the gods decide Thetis will marry a mortal and therefore it is no more a big deal that her son will be greater than his father. So Thetis is promised to King Peleus. Peleus had previously encountered Thetis when he was on the Argo questing for the Golden Fleece with Jason. Yeah, he was one of the Argonauts. Um, the pair had not spoken. He literally saw her from a distance, like he was on the boat, and he looked down and was like, ooh, look, pretty lady. Um, and she would, saw him looking at her and was like, ew, what, why is this guy staring at me? And like swam away. Well, Peleus then consulted the like creepy hair ahead that was on the Argo and was just like, who was that pretty lady in the water? And the Hera head was like, your future bride, which is bad Hera. <laughs> so Thetis is appalled and indignant by this arrangement. And she knows that she is worth more than a mortal man. So she tries to refuse, but the gods go ahead with it anyway. And basically say like, Peleus, go that way and you will find your future wife. Um, and so Peleus sets out to rape and claim Thetis. Uh, hurrah, I guess. Not really. Um, rapes her. It is an equally binding as a wedding ceremony. So he just, like, sets out, go to. So Thetis inherited the power of her father, Nereus, uh, to shapeshift in, into any animal of the ocean. So, like, when Hercules grabbed her father, it and he shapeshifted. When Peleus grabbed hold of Thetis, she started shapeshifting to try and get a hold, uh, get away from him. Um, but he just held on real tight, and eventually she became exhausted, just like the story of Nereus. And um, he was able to um, do what he wanted. So this was like, hurrah! I guess they're married. And Thetis was pregnant, and the pair had a wedding ceremony that was attended by all the gods, save one. And the, uh, that got the apple rolling towards a war in Troy. Troy, hurrah, war, again. So that son that she was, or that kid that she was pregnant with ended up being the boy, Achilles. Um, and he, once he is born, Thetis is like, bye, Peleus, I don't actually care about you. Because she wasn't actually going to like leave her actual family and everything that she knew uh, to the man for the man who raped her, so uh, she went back to live with her sisters in the ocean. But she loves her son and is willing to uh, to do anything to protect him. So she tries to make him immortal by dunking him in the river Styx. When she dips him, uh, he she keeps hold of the his heel. And that makes it his weak point, hence Achilles' heel, and we'll get down the road. But that sort of, yeah, then she becomes sad at the end of Achilles' story. But you want to talk about it now? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for for going through that horrible history for us. And yeah, we're going to... We're going to try and work through some of it a little bit. Yeah. It's a challenge, but... Yeah, a lot happens. Okay. 
It's yeah. actually really one of the cooler, like, stories. Like, it's one of, she's one of the few nymphs that we have all these different myths about. So it's sort of cool. Yeah. <laughs> she's cool. <laughs> and she was, like, queen of the sea nymphs, mm-hmm. too. So. Oh. Yeah, so that's cool as well. I mean, obviously so much of that gets stripped away from her, but she's, I think a lot of other nymphs um, concede a little bit easier because they're low on the totem pole, like, period, but she very much saw herself as a queen, and, and I think that's sort of where her fright came from, and I, I love that about her. Okay, let's talk a little bit about how the myth has changed over time. Um, who wants to start? Who has thoughts? I don't really know. I don't know. Because I think Thetis has always been a very strong character in the stories. Like even in the like in the early stories of Achilles um the story of like Achilles, whatever, uh, she is this strong mother who will do anything and sacrifice anything to protect her son. And that really hasn't changed. It's just sort of, she's become more like, oh, we can recognize when she pops up more, I feel like. I think it's so interesting that she has the story that she fought getting married to this guy. Because I think a lot of times in Greek myths, it'll be like, you know, she didn't want to get married, but she did. And then they had a kid and then they moved on. But her story, like, very specifically is, like, she did not want to marry this guy. They made her. She fought it. And then she left because she was so unhappy with it. Like, she is a very strong female in these roles. And I think, like, nymphs usually, especially since they're, like, more, like, on the lower end of the totem pole, like, all this stuff, they get thrown around constantly in these myths. But it's so interesting that she has this story where she fought back and she, cause I, I feel like no offense to Thetis. I don't think she's real. Um, but <laughs> I think it's so interesting that they added this into her story because they could have easily just been like, Oh, she was a woman. Like she was a nymph that got married to a human. And then she had Achilles and she dipped him in. Like they could have left out that whole part about her not wanting to be his wife and just like, sent her on her way but they kept that in and I think that's really neat and you know makes her such a strong character yeah that is really interesting that she's given I mean she was definitely a background character like we're focusing on Thetis but the way that it's positioned is Achilles origin story like he's the important part um so yeah it is strange that Homer decided to give her so much intention and fight and personality when that's not typically done I think you know Homer proving that he's better than Ovid but that's Homer was a feminist (laughs) we love Homer for that we're not totally letting him off the hook but in this moment we're happy with him um I I feel like a big transformation of this myth has been the perception that it's Thetis's origin story and not Achilles because I don't, you know, I really don't imagine anyone hearing the Iliad would have called it Thetis's story, would have attributed this to her very much, or or really recognized the agency that she clearly has in these words. But, you know, maybe a woman who got to sit in on the bard singing would have noticed, but not, like, culturally. So it is cool now that she is a really prevalent figure, and that people talk about her, and she's, like, a uh, main antagonist in a New York Times bestseller and everything else. Yeah, I think her story would really easily be able to be just moved into like a Little Mermaid type story where if she actually oh. liked Peleus and oh yeah, we stayed and we raised Achilles and it was a great time. But because she has this whole backstory and the and it is very clear that she did not want to be a part of this relationship. And, and it's very clearly stated in the original myth. I, it's really hard to avoid that. And because of that, the adaptations have strangely, I feel like, kept that for the most part. Yeah. 
Yeah, her fight is definitely a defining character. And I, part of me wonders if sometimes the author was writing it as a negative trait and we're just interpreting it, in, interpreting it very differently today. But, I, I mean, either way, I'm, I'm glad it's there because that's something to talk about. Yeah. And I wonder, because I, I'm not sure on this, because I, I read it in a few places, but I couldn't really find anything about it. Um, there, it she might have had basically an actual, like, a large following in the Greek world, so she might have been sort of like a... a fa- I, I'm not 100% on this, so don't quote me on it, but I think she might have had sort of a... A religious following sort of to on par with Poseidon uh at the time so she could have been sort of a ooh, look at featured character <laughs> like like this cameo my favorite yeah. goddess has appeared yeah, especially because Thucydides is um descended from Oceanus who was like the titan version of Poseidon mm-hmm. so if that doesn't make sense, basically, like, before the gods ruled, the titans ruled. And there are not exactly parallel, but for the most part, like, parallel. Because they, you know, still had to have dominion over the same places. So, like, before Poseidon ruled the ocean, Oceanus ruled the ocean. Um, and so she, like, Thetis is quite powerful. Um, as you can see by, like, her having the transformation powers and everything. So, like, yeah, it would make sense that people who still respected the Titans would put, like, a lot of stake in her. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned it in the intro, but let's talk a little bit more about the way nymphs are treated in mythology. I mean, not well, for sure. Yeah. And it, it is interesting because having immortality is normally one of the defining thing, things that puts you over humans. Yet, with the nymphs, it, they're almost treated as worse off than human women because they have this really weird place in society where human men find them to be so valuable that they're used more often. Because, obviously, like, if Zeus has a mortal daughter, he's not going to be able to, like, she won't be a goddess, so he can't use her as the same bargaining chip as his immortal daughters. Um, And so nymphs are forced into this really awful place in society where, like, they see that they have the same powers and immortality as all these men, but they're, like, even lower than the ones that they rule over. It's so strange. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, they take the role of the servant in the godly sort of realm. But at the same time, you would still think that 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 would qualify them just slightly above the mortals. But no, it's strangely not only evil, even to the playing field, but lowers it on some standards. If if it's a man, if it's a mortal man versus a mortal woman then the nymph is now below him. Um, I'm not sure about actually mortal women. Would they be on par? But uh, yeah, the nymphs are in this very, very low position in the the immortal hierarchy. And even when, even the mortal uh, hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah, so the added insult of the wedding ceremony after the rape of Thetis. What do we think of that? I don't know if it would be an insult back in the day, but also it would have been an insult directly towards her. It was basically just a band-aid for Peleus to make it seem like what he did was a good thing. And maybe in some eyes that... I, it's like the trope of wearing down a girl. Like, oh, I asked her... I asked this girl out that I saw at the coffee shop five times a week, and I asked her out every day I saw her. And at the after the fifteenth time I asked her, like she said, yeah. And it's like, isn't that great? Now we're married. It's like I feel bad for her. I feel bad. Like she needs to get out. She needs an escape. Um, because you just wore her down. And no, that's not how it works. Um, yeah, it, it it's. 
I think a lot of times that has been the way people have been telling the story of Thetis. So it's like the wedding ceremony makes it sort of makes their relationship seem more consensual. But then she immediately leaves that relationship as soon as she can. So we know that it's not. So it is just a weird, bad band-aid. Yeah, I think that's super interesting, too, because, like, like I said earlier, they really didn't have to include her leaving. Like, they had this wedding ceremony, which, I mean, I don't think they really meant it as, like, a a bad thing. I think they just meant it as, like, he claimed her and this is ancient Greece and that's how you get a wife type of thing. Um, but she, I think in the book it said that she had to stay for a year and then as soon as she could, she just left. And I think that's so interesting that they had her leave because I don't think that that happens a lot in these Greek myths. I don't think they dip out as soon as they can. Like, you're married, you're staying, and that's Mm -hmm. unfortunate. But the added, like, she got out of there and, like, went back home is really, I like that. I think it's really interesting because, yeah, women didn't really do that. It was hard. It, I mean, even in day, uh, modern times, it's hard for a woman to leave a relationship like that. And the fact that in ancient Greece, she was able to leave. She she had that support system from her, you know, people in the ocean that uh, let her go back. I think it's a, a strong female character that anyone can learn from even even now yeah yeah oh i love i love thinking about her support system and like that being part of what enables her to leave because that's such an important factor um so i i mean the way that i perceived having the wedding ceremony was a little bit different i felt like the gods wanted to have a party and they used this as an excuse (laughs) to do that and they didn't care how it made fetus feel Because, so, like, in ancient Greece, rape and a marriage ceremony are, like, the same damn thing. So, Peleus, I don't think, would have had to do it for appearances, because there wasn't the same purity culture that we have today. Like, like there weren't really shotgun weddings in ancient Greece, because if a man decided that you were going to have his child, especially if it was a king, you were just supposed to be honored. Gross, obviously. So I, I don't know, but but both of those perspectives are really interesting. I, I just, like, I thought it was weird that Zeus and Poseidon, Hades wasn't invited, obviously, but pretty much all the gods came to this wedding that was from, between a sea nymph, who's pretty low on the totem pole, and a random-ass mortal king, who, <laughs> so it was we- I felt like they just wanted to go to a party, and that that's why they had the ceremony. And so then Thetis had to sit through not only her own assault, which already bound her, but then this over-the-top wedding on land with a gross man that she just hates, pretending that she cares what Aphrodite thinks. Yeah, and then also think of the people who are attending that party. It's all of her exes and all of the people that ever tried to get with her. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and who were pursuing her before that prophecy about her came out. And then they were like, well, my son can't be better than me, so I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So maybe the wedding was just there to, like, prove to everybody, look, she's off the table. You can't have her anymore. That prophecy has yeah. been fulfilled. Probably. Probably. Because she was dangerous. Because, like, even if Poseidon and her had a kid, that threatens Zeus. Mm-hmm. And even if her and Hephaestus had a kid, that threatens Poseidon. So yeah, they all very much did have a vested interest in this marriage, and maybe maybe that's why they all attended. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting that this wedding ceremony is essentially what kicks off the Trojan War. It makes me feel like there was like a larger plan at play, because certain gods were already vying for the Trojan War to happen. And so they're just like, well, the scene of got assaulted, let's just use that. And then we can all get together and kick off mm-hmm. this war. Yeah. It's so terrible. They're so awesome. <laughs> and I feel like, no matter what. Gods with the flaws of mortal men. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like little 
dolls. They're playing with little dolls, which are actual human lives. Little clay figures. (laughs) Yeah. So, the other point we wanted to touch on is there's a lot of complicity from the goddesses. And that ranges from just having the power to stop Peleus to blessing the ceremony and ordaining it as Hera to attending the ceremony even though you're like fully aware of what happened and as we've talked about before it really sucks to see goddesses behave this way I gotta say I think it's Hera who's the the, at fault the most in this story Because Thetis's sisters are amazing. (laughs) Yes, not it's not on Athena's, it's not on Thetis's sisters. But like the Olympian goddesses, where were you? Mm -hmm. We already knew Hera was bad news. She's just Mm, she's she's a a disaster. And I think uh, Hera had some uh, ulterior ulterior motives when it came to getting Thetis out of the way because. Thetis was after Zeus, or well, in Zeus's eye, or in Hera's eyes, but Zeus was after after Thetis. So it's just getting some competition out of the way. Unfortunately, I don't know. It's hard to see Hera in a good light, and yeah. in really any story. <laughs> and like, even it's just I wish Aphrodite was written. I feel this way about Athena, too. Like, to me, when you just line out their traits and what their goddess is over, I feel like they should have rebelled against this. Like, Athena being a warrior and, like, consistently positioning herself in masculine spaces where she's not supposed to be allowed, it seems like she would be avidly protecting women with that kind of power. But she doesn't. And with Aphrodite, like, goddess of love, it seems like she would be protecting actual love and desire and mm-hmm. not allowing these like gross distortions of it and it's like they just fight over paris a mortal man who was a uh sheep herder at this point in time they're not even fighting over it's paris almost... they're fighting over an apple <laughs> yeah it almost seems like these women uh were written by men <laughs> yes wrong <laughs> written by men vibes because athena to me, Athena has this, like, not like other girls vibe to her, yeah. where, like, she'll be like, I'm special, and all these other women can go mm-hmm. burn in hell, because mm-hmm. they're gross. I'm not like them. I'm quirky and different. I carry a spear. It's not cute. Exactly. I could. Yeah. I am only friends with boys. I don't have any oh. friends that are girls. I don't get along with girls. That's <laughs> so <laughs> Athena. And this, again, is honestly why I'm thankful for the tradition of ancient Greece where you can rewrite these characters because, like, I want to be able to claim these goddesses and know that, like, if they weren't written by men, they wouldn't have done this. Like, I know better. I could treat you better. (laughs) I could write it better. Um, Because it's so hard to stand, like, looking at this and being like, that's not how it would have happened. Yeah. It's like maybe she would have transformed her into a bear, but other things would have happened to ha- have to happen before that happened. In a protective way. I hope. Yeah. I just want better for them. I really do. It's yeah. not gonna happen. The texts have already been written, but you know, a girl can. Do yeah, it. you're a couple thousand years too late for that one, but <laughs> I it's okay. That compliment of Homer. <laughs> I retract it. <laughs> it was the bar is just too low. It's fine. Madeline Miller is doing the Lord's work and she she's correcting all of these myths, so it's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> figure in Greek mythology and does not appear directly in the Percy Jackson books. We only see her through Achilles in the last Olympian when Percy takes a dip in the river Styx to become invulnerable like Achilles. 
I'm guessing you guys lost me. I did, but did you finish your sentence? I did. Okay, so we'll, we're good. We'll just put that. I know it recorded locally. The last is... Okay. The last Olympian examines maternal relationships all throughout and even passes judgments on different mothers. So we are actually going to discuss the way fetus is used as an example of motherhood today. Okay, so a lot of things about fetus is, a lot of the myth surrounding fetus is that she is a strong mother. So how do we feel about her, uh, how do we feel about the depictions of mothers in the Percy Jackson series? Because I feel like a lot of them are, or especially Sally, is based off of fetus. thought of Sally actually being based off of fetus but that would make a lot of sense especially since Rick chose to make the last book the one that mirrors Achilles like the culmination of the series because obviously his name is Perseus so that's kind of what you go to but I think that was like probably like a little bit of a random choice in that so it was yeah I mean Sally being modeled after I think Sally's like a mixture of a lot of like mothers in Greek myth. Um, like oh, oh, why did I just miss her name? Perseus's like the original Perseus's mother. Perseus. I think it's pronounced Danae. Danae. Yes. Danae. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm. Yeah, the one that was impregnant by impregnated by a beam of light. Um. Yeah, I think <laughs> Sally is really based off of her <laughs> and a mixture of her and Venus. Strong I think that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting with like the Thetis thing because you know, Perseus's mom, like Perseus's dad is Zeus. It's not actually Poseidon. And so mm-hmm. you bring Thetis in as like an influence for Sally and she's got the ocean part with her so it's really an interesting tie-in I, n- I never connected that either so that's that's interesting Twin's just a genius so thank you it all just comes to mind <laughs> you're such a good reader <laughs> <laughs> um, it's from so- over reading <laughs> yeah yeah um I I feel overall complicated about the portrayals of mothers in this series, though, because you have your Sally Jacksons, and if you've read Magnus Chase, his mother, Natalie, is extremely similar to Sally. Um, but then you also have characters like Mary Castellan, Luke's mom, who is absolutely broken by the experience of having a demigod child and her relationship with Hermes and the way all of it ends and can't and they can't really be with a quote-unquote family um and honestly like I think that's a more realistic portrayal of what would happen to a mortal if they come in contact with a god give birth to a child that's probably going to die at age 11 and are just like half in this world forever this world that they thought was ancient before they slept with one of the gods um and then like Sally Jackson just the and it kind of bothers me a little bit that Sally Jackson is like a cool girl who's not mad at Poseidon for not staying because not only does he not stay, but he doesn't like provide for them in any meaningful way. Like Sally Excuse ends up in an abusive me. relationship. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You're good. My boobs went out. <laughs> um, Sally. Yeah, she she's in this abusive relationship for much of the series and she just is always telling Percy like oh don't be mad at your dad it's not his fault or whatever and I don't like Sally's a great character and I love strong mothers in these books but I just feel like Mary Castellan's a little bit more accurate of what would happen if somebody who I agree but I also disagree with you um I almost feel like Sally and May are the two like opposite ends of the spectrum okay like I don't I don't necessarily think that 
May Castellan's experience would be like what everyone's experience would be like because she got super involved with Hermes and then was like a little bit too into it and wanted to become the Oracle. So then that's what made her go crazy. So she got like a little bit too involved, I think, with the gods. And then Sally's like on the other end of the spectrum and she's like, oh, I'm not involved at all. Like I've got this kid, but like everything's about Percy. I don't care about Poseidon. Like he can, you know, absent father. I don't care. I'm taking care of my kid. And like so far removed from the gods, like she barely, like she'll help Percy with his quest, but she's like never involved with anything. And then I feel like in the middle of that is Frederick Chase, which is Annabeth's dad. And I feel like he's the most realistic portrayal of someone that would have a demigod child because like he personally is like trying to raise her, having lots of problems. She's super problem child. He gets remarried. He has maybe doesn't have the best relationship with like Annabeth and the stepmom. And, you know, it's not a good thing. But I think that's so realistic of like what would happen if you actually had a demigod child. Like, you know, he doesn't, he personally doesn't like abuse her or anything. And he doesn't get involved, but he's also like, I like he literally flies a plane and helps in a quest so like he's very much like in the middle he'll do whatever he can for his daughter he sends her to Camp Half-Blood like Sally doesn't even send Percy to Camp Half-Blood until she absolutely has to so she is like so far removed from the Greek gods but Frederick I mean she Annabeth runs away from home so it's a little bit different but um I think Frederick is our middle ground and May and Sally are just, like, two opposite ends of the spectrum of, like, what could happen. Yeah, I like that perspective a lot. Yeah, definitely. I don't remember much about Piper's dad. I read the I read the second series and sort of put a lot of it in my memory vaults because it wasn't the best. Um, but, <laughs> but I do, like, he, like, blocks out, um, a lot of his, like, experiences, right? With the Greek myth. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of the whole issue. He, like, they, they basically position him as being, and I'm, these are really not my words, too mentally weak to handle the idea that the Greek gods are real, so he never even knows that it's Aphrodite that he has a child with. They, like, erase his memory. Yeah. Okay. He he's not involved Maybe in this it's... conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering, would it be like a May Castellan reason? Like if you found out, would he turn into a May Castellan type character? Or Well, no, not really. And honestly, I had a I had a problem with um Tristan McLean's portrayal. Because you have one indigenous man in this series, and he's he's written as being very weak and, like, running from his culture. And so I thought that that was, like, odd overall. Like, it's just a poor writing. And that's not even a conversation we're having today. But, um, I so the way he's positioned is, like, literally he can't even believe in, the like, the mythology of his own people, like, Cherokee mythology. He also is, like, not able to handle that. And that's Piper's indication that he would never be able to handle knowing that great gods exist, too. So, whereas, like, like what Maddie said, like, May Castellan's problem was that she went so deep. And and that's true, like, Sally says Poseidon loved her, but it kind of seems like she's just saying that to Percy because, like, a one-night stand is hard to explain to your 11-year-old son. <laughs> whereas with May Castellan and... Hermes like Hermes actually did love her and like they wanted to be whatever the version of married for a god and a mortal would be um and and everyone else sort of stepped in and was like that's not possible and then Macastella was like what if I become the oracle which I think we can all realize was a bad idea but um yeah and so so you're right like she's very much the other end of the spectrum and and I think Annabeth's dad probably is is the middle ground but it still just is an interesting choice to position Sally as so positive and make Stellan as so, like, negative because she even is, like, abusive because of her mental illness, which isn't great. 
because like how many people are really okay with a god and them conceiving a child they might not know that they even it was a god but till after and then they just like have a demigod child with an absentee parent like sally's reaction is so chill to that but can you imagine having a child with athena like Frederick Chase literally just had an in-depth conversation with another, what he thought, person, and then a child showed up at his doorstep. I can't even imagine. I know. He had every right to be like, I never had sexual relations with that woman. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've had, like, conversations with people that I really don't ever want to see again. The idea that any of those could like lead to a child and like a very complicated child who's going to be attacked by spiders in her bedroom and fight monsters and have to run away to a to a secret camp where she stays year long and like trains for battle. It's yeah, it's a truly wild arrangement. So how do you guys feel about you have to get your mother's permission to get the curse of Achilles or blessing of Achilles or whatever bath in the river sticks? I love it. I get my mom's permission to do most things. So I, yeah, I love it. (laughs) I I also love it. And I also ask my mom's permission to do pretty much everything. I, I enjoy how much power it gives the mother because um, in the three cases that we see, which are Achilles, um, Percy and Luke doing this, gaining um, not immortality, but What's the word? Invincibility. Invulnerability. Yeah, Yeah, invincibility. Yeah. One of the two. (laughs) Um, Same soup. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) taking a dip in the river sticks. um, The mother is like on, the mother is not necessarily like the weaker, but the lower socially of the relationship. So it's interesting that you don't have to get your father's permission. And obviously that comes from the myth and from Thetis being the, um, being the one who like found out that this was possible and this was a way to protect your child, uh, but I do think that's really cool because like Thetis is immortal, but as as we've talked about, socially she ranked lower and had less say than Peleus, um, and so she sort of through her actions inadvertently started this trend of allowing mothers to make decisions about things it seems like the father would, especially with Percy and Luke both having immortal fathers. So yeah, I think that's really cool. Yeah, and in the case of Achilles, I'm not sure on this, but I'm not sure Peleus ever, like, I don't think Thetis asked permission from Peleus, or she said, no. hey, Peleus, by the way, I'm taking our kid to the underworld to take give him a bath in the fire water. Like, um, that was never a conversation. Peleus was not in the loop on that. So I think in their relationship, though Thetis was socially lower than Peleus, in their relationship, just on the two-on-two, or one-on-one, Thetis was much, she, I don't like this phrase, but she was wearing the pants in the relationship. Yeah, for sure. Like, other people were making decisions for her that kind of put her with Peleus, but it wasn't as though she was in any way, like, submissive or anything. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Quinn, do you want to talk about Laurel and Bill? Yeah, so before we get into... uh the other feminist retelling i just wanted to mention lore olympus it's a web comic they came out with like a hardback like actual like volume um edition so you can check it out at the library if you want but you can get it for free on webtoon um but it is a uh retelling of the persephone and hades myth and thetis is a character and she is Zeus's secretary and mistress. She is shown as being manipulative, scheming, competitive. Uh, she has an unhealthy relationship with Zeus and a toxic friendship with Minthi, who's another nymph, and Thanatos, who's the god of um, death. 
Uh, so the webcomic takes place in a timeline where Odysseus has been born because he is like shown briefly in like one of like the first. But it's a really interesting depiction of her um, prior to motherhood. excited that this episode actually has a feminist retelling for us to evaluate. Yes, and it only was on the third try. I guess they were right and we don't need feminism anymore. Yep, so this week our feminist text is Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. This is the book that took TikTok by storm and gave us all emotional trauma connected to fig trees. (laughs) all right megan can you give us a summary i can but i don't promise that it will be brief so the song (laughs) of achilles is a retelling of the iliad but it's from patroclus's perspective and it focuses on his romantic relationship with achilles thetis is achilles mother as we've talked about and she will do anything to protect young achilles Uh, So he has a prophecy hanging over his head that he will not survive the Trojan War, despite being Aristosicion, or best of the Greeks. Thetis does everything from hiding him away as a woman, to attempting to ward off Patroclus, to calling on favors from the Olympians to protect Achilles' honor, in the hopes that the gods will make him immortal by the end of the war. I don't know how to defend it, because it's not defensible. It really isn't. It's, it's a, it's sort of, I can see where she came, came to like, all right, this is how we should handle it because someone has to have that perspective in the book. It's unfortunately that she, uh, Madeline Miller chose to do that with the mother. And I don't even know if someone actually had to have that perspective in the book because you could have been like, I know. look, (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say, I feel like it's super unnecessary. Like it doesn't need to be a thing like the Greeks were all gay like Mm -hmm. they didn't I don't feel like they would have even really had that big of a problem with it and I think Madeline Miller just added it for a little bit of conflict yeah Um, because the Trojan War wasn't conflict enough apparently (laughs) um I just thought it was so unnecessary like I thought Thetis was a really cool character and then they added in this like homophobia and I was like wow that's kind of annoying yeah and I, it's been a while since I actually read Song of Achilles, but does is it her that makes um is it she that she uh makes Achilles dress as a woman or is that Peleus's idea? Or is it's that in a idea. so she hides him it, it away is her idea. because she's not ready for him to enter the war yet. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not really connected to his relationship with Patroclus. That's like very much just her own plans for Cersei. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I The only thing is, the Greeks... So, I'm not at all disputing that Homer wrote Achilles and Patroclus as lovers because Achilles asks for their ashes to be mingled in the same urn. So, I feel like that's null and void. Like, yes, they were. They were gay. Um, I don't know that it's untrue that the army would have been upset by this because... They're like the the culture of ancient Greece is not like queer people are on equal terms and are able to have like happy, healthy relationships. For the most part, queer relationships in ancient Greece looked like very powerful older men being allowed to take young boys as not even boys, but like young soldiers, like 18, 19, as lovers, or young boys having um, like gay relationships as a precursor to them having wives. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, it was like, it's, it's just very different. It's not, when we think of like Greece having gay relationships or accepting queer people, it's not exactly like this like picture perfect healthy version of that. Honestly, it was more like having a mistress than anything. Um, if we were going to equate it to something today. So like in, in, in her book, when Odysseus is like gives a weird side homophobic com- comment to Achilles and Patroclus, 
he essentially insinuates that he knows that they didn't grow out of it like the other boys. And I do feel like that's kind of accurate. Like, Achilles is a king. People wouldn't have been okay with him only ever being with Patroclus. They would have wanted him to take a wife, to have a queen and an heir. So I I do yeah. understand writing Thetis as having an issue with that relationship once they pass boyhood. Because, like, no, there weren't closets in homophobia in ancient Greece the way we do today, but it wasn't, like, gay marriage was legal. It's very yeah. complicated and weird. I just, I still think it's interesting that she chose to make Thetis the one to have that perspective instead of Peleus, which I think would have been an easier fit because he is the king. He he yeah. should know what that is, what is required of him. And if he, ha- if he believes, if you have a, a male lover, uh, whatever, you're going to, if that, that will make you a bad king, uh, it it would be a, a more poignant from coming from him rather than this goddess who lit, who who didn't like the person that she was set up with so she left I, that is like her entire story so it's interesting that she then tells her son to do something that he doesn't want to do or stop doing something that makes him happy because that's what what she does in her whole life or whole thing is trying to make herself happy and fulfilled. I, I personally don't like the handling of Peleus in this book at all because he's con- continually said to be kind and pious and like Patroclus really liked him and Achilles really liked him and stuff. And like I I don't know. I wish that there would have been more like critical thinking about him and and i really wish he wouldn't have been positioned as like a kind man because he literally can't be he's been assaulted yeah i think that's i think that might have been a choice too though because i feel like a lot of times when men are like assaulters they're still like excused because like oh but he was so nice or like he never did anything to me that i would think he'd be a bad person but like he's objectively a bad person because he sexually assaulted someone but like the people around him especially the men like Achilles and Patroclus don't see him as a bad person because I mean what's the worst thing that he did assaulted a woman who cares about women you know so I I feel like it was a choice to make him a really nice guy Mm -hmm. that's probably true and Honestly, what's missing from this story is, like, a more present, non-antagonistic female voice, but because you're telling the Iliad, you can't really do that without inserting a character. Like, and I think Melo Miller does her best. Like, she gives Briseis a lot more agency, um, and Thetis, she kind of rounds her out, even if she gives her some bad traits as well, um... But, but yeah, like it's still the Iliad is still gonna be like very male centric. So yeah, that's true. I guess it just takes like reading it and being conscious of that. Yeah, I like that she does that a lot. Mm-hmm. So do you guys think that Thetis loves Achilles in Madeline Miller's teller- telling? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like yeah. a helicopter mom type relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I I think she does when she's a child. Um, but I I do find it interesting how quickly she kind of abandons him. Like when she realizes that he's really not going to do what she feels he needs to do. Um, like when he He's refusing to fight. She gets really upset about that. And she's like, you're throwing this away over something petty. And like, don't let your arrogance be your downfall. Like, you're not going to get any of your honor. People aren't going to remember you the right way. They're going to remember this. And she she eventually is just like, well, fine. You have a son. Like, I'll use him instead. Um, which is like a wild thing for a, for a mom to do. But 
Athena's has had a lot of experiences that other people haven't that like hardens her. And also she's an immortal. That definitely changes your perspective on human life. And but I do think she loves him because in the end she really does come around and she she ends up wanting to hear the side of him that she never got to see through Patroclus. Um and then you have like this full circle moment with them. So so yeah, I do think so. It's it's complicated because she's immortal. Yeah. I mean, relationships with parents are often complicated. Like, your parents can love you, but they don't necessarily do what you think is right, you know? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, mortal parents definitely can have that same problem of seeing their kid as an extension of you rather than their own person and, like, being concerned their child's actions reflect on them. Rather than mm-hmm. a, like realizing that it's their child's life that is exactly theirs, yeah. So I guess Venus yeah. is like a really heightened version of that, which is super interesting. Very healthy yeah. for mom and kids. It's it's a strangely realistic relationship. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it not is. a happy family, but that doesn't mean they don't love each other. Right. What do we think about Madeline Miller's choice to omit that Achilles is invulnerable and sort of make it that it's a rumor that he was dipped in the river Styx? I actually really liked that part. It sort of makes, I don't know, it it brings the real world into it a little bit more. And just, it makes Achilles even that much more of a badass. Yeah. It made it seem like this, like, actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it makes it feel like a history book, because they're, like, they bring in the myths and stuff, but for the most part, it, like, I don't know. Although, I, there are still gods and stuff, but that might not be true. But it did make me feel like, oh, like, this might have happened. Yeah, it made it, it makes it feel like Thetis, she could be just this awesome, like super powerful, like high up priestess that lives in a cave or something, lives in a remote <laughs> island with all of her priestess ladies. Um, but all the Greeks perceived them as goddesses. So I don't know. Right. It it's cool. Yeah, I also thought that this was a really cool choice. I, I like it because it kind of acknowledges the validity of um, the myths of the time. Like, some of the soldiers heard a bard sing and say that Thetis had done this thing, even though she hadn't. And, like, they really believed it about this guy that they had been around for years and, like, never clarified whether he was invulnerable or not. Yeah, definitely. Um, so how do we feel about Bryces or Bryces? Bryces? <laughs> I mean, I think he's great. I think Messias, but that's that's because of the audiobook and I have no idea how accurate the audiobook is gonna be. That so. that sounds better than whatever I said. <laughs> <laughs> um I I mean I love that she's given as much agency and character as she is. Um and, and it also, I think it helps to put into context why Achilles stopped fighting. Because I think today when we read the Iliad, it's like, wow, he's really upset about this. And it doesn't really make sense. But, but this goes into how, um, how it's about his honor. Like, this is a personification of what he earned for, um, for all of his sacrifices here. Oh, which reminds me of a point that I forgot. <laughs> I, I also like I like that Achilles isn't invulnerable because it reinforces what he has at stake in this war, and it I think it helps to explain his deterioration at the end of this book. Like Achilles, from the age of sixteen, has a prophecy hanging over his head that he's going to die, and the only thing he can do about it is make his life count enough where he'll live on through memory and through being a hero, which is like a very big weight to carry around at that point and so when he sees that being messed with he sees his honor like getting taken from him with Briseis it it really like triggers him into this downward spiral um 
and I and I feel like it's not that his actions are permissible or good or anything, but it does help you understand why he's behaving that way. And like making Briseis a fleshed out person also helps explain why Patroclus gets upset at Achilles and why Patroclus is so upset that Briseis is gone because he cares for her as a person. Yeah, I agree with that. I really like Briseis. So full disclosure, I can't believe I've gone this whole time without telling you guys that I've never read the Iliad um, and I have no intentions of reading it um, because I don't care. But um, <laughs> I have like read about the Iliad. Um, so I really like that they fleshed her out as a character. And I thought she um, played a really interesting role in her, the relationship between Achilles and Patroclus. And not to sound homophobic, but towards that latter end of the book, I was like rooting for uh, Patroclus to just dump Achilles and go off with Briseis. Like, I loved her so much. I was like, I ship this so hard. I knew I shouldn't have, but I mean, Achilles was a monster, so I don't feel bad. Um, but no, yeah, I, I will thought back you it on was that. really great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's just so nice, and she. I, she would just make a great wife and a great friend to be with forever. <laughs> I just like, because <laughs> that's what your partner's supposed to be. It's supposed to be your best friend that you can like be with forever and like have grow a relationship together. And like, sure, Achilles and Patroclus had passion, but I don't know. They were a hot, hot ass mess. But whatever. It was I digress. This it was a it was a fiery passion <laughs> that was going to burn both of them in the end. <laughs> And did. And it did. They both fucking died. Oh, sorry. I don't know. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Okay, you're, okay. <laughs> you're fucking fine. Yeah. <laughs> they both fucking died because of their terrible decision making in relationships because they all of their choices were just about like the other person and like their the other person's perception of them it wasn't even like what choice could i make that's better best for this person it's how can i make the best choice to get them to notice me or like get them to feel bad that they hurt me and it's like come on guys yeah. let's just have communication yeah. and stop doing this this is one major problem I have with Madeline Miller being the person to write this story as a straight woman because she positioned the queer relationship as being toxic. And not only did she do that, but she added the alternative of Briseis as being a much healthier option. And what that does is it, it says, oh, if Patroclus just denies what, who he really is, and, you know, he's got this best friend that he can just fake marry. It'll, he'll be able to have kids this way. He won't die. He'll live a happy, long life. And, like, I, I again, I understand that it's a retelling of the Iliad, so your hands are a little bit tied here. But I just don't know that a queer author would have done this. Like, I think a queer author would have thought that this is what people are going to read and perceive it as. That's fair. That's kind of how it's set up. It's like, oh, you're rooting for Patroclus to just leave Achilles and go be with this woman. Um, and, and it's like, it enforces this toxic messaging. And I, not that I think Madeline Miller is homophobic. She obviously, like, championed this story and brought it back into the limelight in a really great way. But just when you're writing identities that you don't possess, you're going to accidentally let your own, like, internalized, um, in this case, internalized homophobia in... And so, like, the way, like, that's kind of the correct reading of it if you want the characters to be happy. But it's just not great that that's the way to perceive it. You know, like, it's not a problem with how it's yeah. like that. It's a problem with how it was written. Fair point. So, you know, straight women just maybe get a sensitivity reader. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah do we have anything else that we want to say about song of achilles um 
I want to reiterate that I love it. That <laughs> I have not only the t-shirt that I'm currently wearing, I have a sweatshirt as well. Um, I have a poster. So anything oh, wow. I say with love. And um, yeah, this podcast was all a ruse so that I could talk about this topic. Now that we've spent so much time with Thetis and her story, so let's talk about what we can learn from her and in our own life. Like, how can we emulate Thetis? I don't think I will. I, <laughs> no offense to her, but. I know it's hard to if you're not a mother. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I can't be like, I'm going to be a helicopter mom because of fetus. Um, and I don't really want to be anybody's mistress. I don't really feel the need to marry to get power. But if I was doing that, I would definitely be like, fetus is my girl. These are good points. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean trying to like attain the same things in life certainly not i i will say i very much admire her defiance that being said i kind of have plenty of that on my own so <laughs> i'm just gonna say i'll continue with that trait but i don't know that anybody in my life would say i need more of it all right i support yeah. that yeah, you have to emulate the the part of the story where she fights Peleus, though she does lose in the end. But we can s keep rooting for her to win eventually. Yeah. Do you have anything to oh, plug? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a couple of things. Um, So you can find my podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a couple other places where you can listen. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram. We are at FatalFlawPJO on both platforms. And check us out if you get a chance. It's called Fatal Flaw. Yeah. yeah. It's a great podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you guys so much for having me. This was awesome. Produced and edited by Megan Peter Peterson. And our social media is run by Gwen Albert. Follow us on Instagram at the Monstrous Woman Pod. We will link our socials, our Patreon, and our Redbubble store below if you would like to see more from us. Cover art by Tyler Peterson. We are distributed by Anchor. Thank you for listening. Troy by Stephen Fry. The links for all of these tracks will be 